open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, and I'm so glad to be back. It's so great to see your faces, seeing you guys come in off the parking lot. I was like, man, I really miss Texas. The, one of the funny stories was is we're on the plane, and, and it's funny how, like, you know, kids, what they learn and, like, their frame of reference, right? And so, Caleb's, we're in the plane. It's this nine-hour flight. We're flying to Warsaw through Istanbul, and that was cool. So we had Turkish kids behind us, and these kids were like, you know, five or six or something like that, and they're playing with Caleb over the seats, and, you know, we tried to keep it in, under control. And at one point, one of the Turkish kids said, are you from America? And Caleb goes, nope, Texas. <laughs> I was like, yeah, there we go. And then again, I was like, oh, maybe that was just a mistake, you know, and then later on, like, somebody else asked him, like, where are you, where are you from you know, where are you from? And he goes, I'm from Texas. And I thought, wow, we're doing something right. We're doing something <laughs> right. So, so um, um, Genesis chapter 3, and you know, if you've been with us for a while, and if you're new, thanks for being here. Um, we just love, um, we're just such a great family. We're a family, and we just enjoy ourselves so much together. And one of the things that sometimes we've talked about is, um, is this principle of shame, and uh, it's something I think that personally for me growing up really was a topic because um, I think as a teenager, as a young person, what we really desire, what we really seek is authenticity and just conversations with people that are, sorry about this, there we go. We're, we're looking for conversations with people that are, that are open that we can talk with about circumstances and things in our life. And what's great about the Bible and about knowing the Bible is that there's never a taboo topic in the Bible. There's never a topic where we're like, oh, well, we don't talk about that. The Bible addresses every topic. And that's why we can go to the Bible without any kind of embarrassment or shame. And one of the topics that I think that we sometimes experience as Christians, and especially in the Bible Belt, is this, is this principle of shame. And I want to talk about it and maybe um, really just focus on what is our gospel identity or what is our identity in Christ? What is our finished work identity? And I want to just hit that topic for the next three, four weeks till the end of August if the Lord gives, okay? So Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, and then the eyes of both of them were opened. Now this is the scene here is that Adam and Eve are in the garden and they have eaten both of the apple that they were told, they were ate of the tree that they were told not to eat of. And the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed together fig leaves that they had made for themselves coverings. And in verse 8, when they had heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden at the windy time of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God among the trees of the garden. And Yahweh God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he replied, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I am naked, so I hid myself. And then he, then he asked, who told, you what, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I forbade you to eat? And the man replied in verse 12, the woman whom you have gave me to be with me, she gave to me from the tree, and I ate. Then Yahweh God said to the woman, what, has this, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Here's a classic situation where you have individuals, we have people that we come into some kind of an experience in our life, usually at a young age, and our eyes are opened. And that eyes, our eyes are open to a perception 
that was never meant by God for us to perceive and to experience. These days, what our kids are exposed to is incredible. And we as parents need to be so fervent and such guardians of the internet, of what walks into our house, what our kids see, and we need to be such good stewards of the threshold of our kids' souls to the best we can as parents. And even if we're not parents, uncles, aunts, grandmothers, grandparents, um, we need to do that. We need to be on the ball. And not only just of our kids, but other people, people that are in our lives. And we need to continually understand that the devil is, con- is, is not stopping day and night, Revelations 12, verse 10. Day and night he's accusing and he's attacking your and my mind to start thinking about something from a perspective that is not God's perspective. The, for, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not something that was forbidden to eat just because God is a dictator, that he's a megalomaniac, that he's an egoistic God that needs everyone to obey him whether they understand it or not. God is saying to Adam and Eve, I created you in my image. I have a perspective that I want you to see which is healthy a way to look at things through my voice, through my word. And when they were to eat of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was information without God. That's information without the Bible. That's information without divine perspective. Google, which we have just incredible access to, incredible amount of information, so much of that can just be information without God. For example, here's an example. Follow me for a minute. Um, the, the, the integer zero, okay? You know we have zero, one, two, three, four. The, the principle of zero or emptiness or a gap or vacuum did not exist until, until, recent, until recent times. This was not something that was in the ancients during the time of the Hebrew, the Hebrew mindset or even in ancient Babylonian times. There was no such thing as a zero. There was never any such thing as, a, as, a, as an empty spot because in nature, we know that, um, that nature abhors the vacuum. That means that there is no vacuum in nature. That means there is no zero. There is no emptiness. It's always going to be filled with something. That means that you and I can't be on cruise control. We can't be in passive mode because when we're not thinking with God, when we're not processing our life and our thought life through the word of God, through the mind of God, through the Holy Spirit, then something else is gonna fill that void. And so there is no void. It's always being filled with something. And so the eyes of them were both opened. And I just think that like when we think of people today that have experiences in their life that put them in a place where they feel uncovered, where they feel unloved, where they feel unworthy, where they feel that they've been, where they are afraid. And that that can be something in a person's life, maybe as a child, something happens to a child where they feel like they are not protected, where they are uncovered, where they, are, where they are experiencing embarrassment or they are experiencing something that a child at that age or even as an adult, we experience that God has never intended for us to experience. And what that is, is, is an experience or information without divine perspective. And what happens is this, for example, if there is a trauma in someone's life or if there's a circumstance in, in, in our lives where we find ourselves kind of isolated, standing alone. When you and I feel alone or isolated, when we find ourselves, you know, and that can happen too, we have folks here that have just moved to the area, we're still kind of new to Texas, you kind of come to this area, you kind of feel like 
you know, you kind of feel a little bit like uncovered and that's why so many times people move to the area and they're looking for a church because we're looking for that spiritual covering. We need, by the way, a spiritual covering and I wanna talk about that a little bit later. We need a spiritual covering. We need something in our family that's a spiritual covering. But let me just back up here a little bit. Their eyes are open and they knew they were naked. Uncovered. They were, there was a shame about themselves, their bodies. There was a shame. There was some kind of embarrassment. There was a sense of uncovering. And it was a sense of being alone or rejected or um, separated from, from safety. And so when, so they hid themselves in the garden. Adam and Eve, think of the circumstance here. Adam and Eve were given, God gave the garden to Adam and Eve to rule, to preside over, to be stewards of it to watch it like God said to Adam, watch, which is a Hebrew word, which means to guard, like guard the garden because there were, there were enemies, there were, there were hostile um, entities that, were, that wanted to come in and defile the garden, defile the world that they were living in. Adam was to be the guardian of the garden. He was to be presiding over it. God has given Adam um, you know, uh, dominion over the animals to rule the creation. He was, he was the caretaker of creation. Think of the amazing responsibility that he had. And now he, we're, he's hiding in the very thing that God gave him to be presiding over. Kind of reminds me of Saul. Remember King Saul? He's hiding among the stuff and God has a calling on his life. And what happens here is that they lose their perspective on who they are in Christ. They believe a lie. They believe something that's not right. And they wind up to be, they wind up hiding in the very thing that they're supposed to be leading and having authority over and, and guiding and, 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 and ruling over. They're hiding in it. They hide in the garden. And why are they hiding? They said, I heard the sound of God coming. That speaks volumes to me. Do you know why? Because before, it was God talking to them face to face in the garden, right? At the cool of the day or in the Hebrew, it's the windy part of the day where the cool breeze would blow and it'd be this time of refreshment and the wind speaking of the Holy Spirit and this time of spiritual refreshment for Adam and Eve and at that time of the day, they hear God coming, right? It's kind of like I remember as a kid, you know, my, my, my dad would be angry or something, I can hear him thumping up the stairs, you know, like the sound of my angry dad coming up the stairs. <laughs> you know, here's God coming. And you know what, when you don't see a face, and this is sad about Christianity today, is that there's no face of God on Christianity today. There's just a program or just some kind of um, a religious um, achievement program that you have to get to solicit the love and the grace of God. And so they, they hear the sound of God and there's no face, there's no intimacy with that because of fear. They're living in self-awareness, self-consciousness, you know? And I think that all mental illness begins when the love of God is taken out of the picture, we're living in just self-awareness. And when we're living in self-awareness, we understand how broken we are. You know, I met somebody this, this past few weeks and they spent a lot of time with us. And their religion is really just discovering how great they can be and how much they can help the world and how they can be so, uh, such a great human. And I said, you know, there's nothing wrong with discovering who we are, but when we do discover that, we're not gonna discover really a perfect, we're gonna find a lot of brokenness. And the more brokenness we find, the more that we're gonna be challenged to either withdraw and hide in the garden and shame or to step out and to try to correct the situation when it's a deeper problem than just something wrong with us. It's a spiritual problem. 
And so they hear God coming in the garden and God says, where are you? I love that. There's no condemnation. Like when you and I find ourselves in a place of shame, God is not condemning us. He's just, where are you? Where are you? I want to fellowship with you. I want to commune with you. And this is what happens. This is what we see here in Genesis chapter 3. We see five things. We see tragedy. And this can happen to a person, either young or old. Tragedy hits. Something happens. Maybe a person's been victimized. Or maybe a person has been injured. Or like many of these Ukrainians that we saw uh, this, these past three weeks, I've, we were at this refugee camp and we had met people that had just come out of Ukraine from, uh, from, a, from the city where they were in Mykolaiv that was being bombed and the, the look on their face was just unbelievable. I've never seen, until you've met refugees that are, that are on the run for their lives with one bag and the child has one toy, it's like, it's unbelievable what, what they're facing. And tragedy hits, and what happens is when that happens, we feel exposed and we don't feel covered. You ever feel that way? Like, man, something just happened to me, and where, where's the guy watching my back? Why well, I'm standing, have you, you know, children sometimes remember as a child, maybe something happening to you in school or something happens, or maybe you failed or, or, or something has happened to you, and you feel exposed, you feel alone, and you don't, and you don't feel like your basic needs are met. And this is why sometimes orphans, when they're, when they're little kids, orphans can feel like their basic needs are not being met. And so that really, that sense of covering and love and care that every human being, every one of us desire and we need, when, that is, when it's lacking in our life, that can produce shame in a, per, in a young child's um, heart. For example, um, as a parent, and I've, we've said this before, if, if I'm in a public place, and this has happened, and my son does something and it embarrasses me, you know, and then, then I react to my son with like some kind of moral standard, like, well, you can't do that. That's not how we do that. My son's in this stage now where it's like, why, 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 why? I mean, you know, and when, when, when your child feels, Im- when you're, and when your child looks at you and sees that you're embarrassed, you know what it does to his psyche, what it does to his little soul? It creates shame. My dad is ashamed of me, or my mom is ashamed of me. And that covering, that covering that we that we desire, that we, that we so need in our life is not there, and we sense shame, and so we feel the shame. Shame is number two, this, the feeling that something is wrong with me. For example, guilt is when I feel like, okay, I've done something wrong, and I can point at that. You know, I was speeding, and I got pulled over, and I feel guilt about that. And by the way, there's a funny story about this, and we just rabbit trail a second. I got a text when I was overseas from Billy Turner, and he was like, somebody's driving your truck. I was like, yeah, you know, Victor's driving my truck and, you know, like he's staying in our house watching our dog in our house while we're gone. And I said, why, is everything okay? And he goes, yeah, because we were just wondering what was happening because it was, it was driving the speed limit. <laughs> I was like, what? That's <laughs> great. And he said, we pulled up next to the truck and looked inside and it wasn't you. So we were wondering what was, gr- what was wrong, so we texted you. Shame, guilt is the feeling that we did something wrong. And by the way, I don't know what it is, but... Like, you know, I try not to speed. I you know, really, I've learned to slow down, especially come to Texas where everything, people are just more relaxed and like not everybody's, not, not everybody's in such a rush unless you're on Research Boulevard. And, you know, and then you're just relaxing and, 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 um, uh, and, and it's like, you know, so I'm learning how to, I've learned how to slow down a little bit. But, you know, guilt is when we know what we did wrong. We can point to it and say, hey, that was wrong. That was, a, you know, and then we, we, you know, 
We, can, we confess it to God. And by the way, when you and I sin, we don't need to ask God for repent. We don't have to ask God to forgive us because we're forgiven. What we need to do is we need to confess our sin in 1 John 1 verse 9. It doesn't say ask for forgiveness because we've been forgiven. And I think that sometimes when we, when we fail or hurt somebody, we do ask forgiveness because we want them to understand that there's a, there's a choice in the matter and we, we desire that forgiveness. But when we, go, when we sin and when we fail, when we confess our sin, it says in 1 John 1 verse 9, we are, we are, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our, of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And boy, do we need that cleansing, right? That's what church and Bible schools, we have Bible school on Monday nights at 6.30. We're going through, we have two more classes on the book of Galatians, and this is phenomenal. This is one of my, one of my favorite things during the summer is these Galatian classes. So if you've got time, join us tomorrow night at 6.30. We have outreach on Tuesdays. We get together. We have like a little video here. We watch and then we just go out into the neighborhood. And then Wednesdays, we're meeting here at 7.30. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Right? Seven. Seven. Yeah, thank you. Seven o'clock. And we meet here together. And we just kind of meet in the back there. And it's just time in the Word. And then a time of conversation and interaction and, and, and just really a time of encouragement. So if you got time, join us. And then um, Thursdays and Fridays, we... We're, we just usually maybe something spontaneous will happen and then Saturdays like we did yesterday we'll get together about three thirty, um, four thirty here we'll have a time of prayer and we'll just go on to the neighborhood and we'll just meet our neighbors and I love that because yesterday we did that and I remember we just I talked to one guy and um and he said you know I've never had I've never ever ever in my life ever had someone knock on my door and share with me the love of God and ask me what they can be praying for for us. They were like, they were in a state of shock. They were like, you know, are you guys for real? Or like, what are you trying to sell? I said, no, I just feel like as a pastor, and it's my personal conviction, this maybe doesn't go for everybody, but as a pastor, I understand what Paul said to Timothy, that we need to be, do the work of an evangelist. And it's not just for pastors. As a Christian, you know, like have a burden for your neighbors. I'm getting off track here, but I feel like as a pastor, if, I'm not, if I don't know what's happening in my, in my neighborhood, and maybe I don't know everything, but if I don't have an idea of where people are at spiritually, I don't know if I'm a qualified pastor. That's just me. That's just the way I think. Like I, I, the police officer knows his beat, right? He knows what's going on. He knows what's, what areas are, are troubled areas, and he knows where to be when. I just think as pastors and as Christians, we can be praying and have a burden for our neighbors. Amen? Shame is the feeling that something is wrong with me. When I feel guilty about something and I don't understand forgiveness and I don't know what to do with my sin, to confess it to God and hand it to God, and he cleanses me from that unrighteousness. And boy, that unrighteousness is like when we sin, we feel dirty, don't we? We feel just gross, really gross, you know? The, The love of God comes in and cleanses us. That forgiveness comes in and cleanses us from unrighteousness. Shame is something else. Shame is different than guilt. Shame is when that guilt gets under my skin. It's when I don't know what to do with my guilt. It's when I don't know what to do with my sin. And shame just gets underneath my skin. And instead of pointing at something like that was wrong, shame is now, I'm pointing at myself, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. I'm not acceptable. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve love and I don't deserve the grace of God. And there's something wrong with me. And that's what the that's what Adam and Eve, the first couple, are experiencing in the Garden of Eden. They're experiencing shame. And is this God's will? No. Shame is when I've bought the lie that I'm not forgiven. It's when I internalize my sin. 
It's when I internalize my, and every one of us in this room, we have battles in our life. There's things that are trying to get into our soul, like these claws of addictions and ways of thinking and these looping cycles of thinking that try to get into our mind. And you know something? There are these times when, when it gets under there and we just live in shame. We're like, you know, we're just like, like there's something wrong with me. And I'm not loved, I'm not worthy to be to be received grace and love. And then number three, what happens is we make a vow that we will never allow ourselves to be hurt like that again. And so we, build, we begin to build layers of protection. And unfortunately, this happens in the church today. This happens in churches today. I'm sad to say that. But we make a vow. We'll never allow ourselves to be hurt again. So we build these walls. You know, and in multiple relationships, if people have multiple relationships in their lives, they said, you know, I learned last time that I can't be vulnerable and I can't, I've, I, I've got to build the wall. And this wall that we build around ourselves are like fig leaves, right? And what happens to fig leaves after 24, 48 hours? What do they do? They shrivel up and die, don't they? It's a temporary fix for an eternal problem that only God can fix, that only God can do, and he's done that. And so we put these fig leaves on us. We put these things around. We, you know, we hide in our big trucks and our big houses and we hide in our nice clothes and we hide with our cool, fancy conversations and our spirituality, even our spiritual programs and what we do in the church. Well, I do this in the church and so therefore I'm good. And, and you know something, many times we are just hiding the shame and we're not allowing God to come in and say, where are you? Where are you? And this thing that we're creating around ourselves is called the false self. It's, the, it's this old sin nature. It's this thing that we're creating that we're using to protect ourselves, but it's never eternal, and it never lasts. And what'll happen is that there's just another moment that'll come down the road. Next Christmas, it'll be the same situation. Well, I blow up with my family because I don't know how to deal with the shame that I have in front of my family. And I don't wanna make this too psychological, but this self, verse number four, this false self causes us to no longer be authentic or vulnerable. And so we stop receiving grace. We come to church, we feel like, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't, people cannot know who I really am, the things that I'm really struggling with, because if they do, guess what happens? (laughs) I'm out the door, right? Rejection, isolation, shame, again. So we put these, we put these fig leaves on us, and that's what God does not want. God wants to strip away those fig leaves and give us something else. What does he do? He sheds blood. There's a, there's a sacrifice, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an animal that is sacrificed, that is killed, and his blood is shed, and the skins of that animal is put on Adam and Eve. And that's a permanent, that's a picture of the permanent covering of the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ and the skin and who Jesus Christ is and who he is has been put on us. And we're covered, we're covered. We walk through the doors and we say, you know what, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's my great proclamation, you know? And we gave these shirts out to all the dads, and actually there's a couple over there that still haven't been picked up. But you know, we gave this to all the dads, because I think as a dad, as a father during Father's Day, I don't know about you guys, but I look at my own fatherhood in year number five <laughs> of my fatherhood, and man, do I need grace. Man, do I need to have that covering of the, of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And what happens is that when we, when we come to church, and there's no longer that openness, and we feel like we gotta put on this, praise the Lord, brother, praise the Lord, brother. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. God is good all the time. And that's great stuff. This, this is good confession. But God forbid that someone comes through those doors, including myself, and we walk in, and there's no one that we can talk to and say, brother, sister, I need prayer. Can you just sit down with me and just pray with me? 
and not be feel like, okay, you're disqualified because you're a sinner, right? So number five, what happens, God comes in and he looks for us and he finds us and he rectifies the situation with his word. God comes in and sets it straight with his word and then he passes judgment on the serpent and that's awesome because God is a God of justice. You know, when we were in, in Poland, we're dealing with people, you know, the refugees, the refugee mindset and this has been such a, a, a learning process for me what refugees go through. You know, it's incredible what, has, what is happening and many of them, um, are looking for justice, like where is justice? And like when you say God is a God of justice and there is a hell, we believe in a hell today that is true and it's real, it's alive, it's, people are going there all the time, it's biblical. It's the hell is made in Mark chapter nine, not for Christians and people, but it was made actually for the devil and his angels. But people go there, not because of their actions and their sin, that's already been paid for it. They go there because they reject the eternal free gift of salvation. And when we talk to people about salvation, we say, look, hell is not a place for you. Oh, I'm going to go there with all my buddies. We're going to just hang out. You know, it's going to be great. You know, no, it won't be. Because if you read carefully about what hell is about, there's isolation and there's degrees of hell. And it's just maybe one day we'll talk about it. But when we talk to people, we're, so, we're saying that God looks for you. And when he searches us out, he knows us. And don't we truly desire that? In shame, I remember as a teenager living in so much shame and living in all of this because of religion, and, and I just remember when the grace of God started searching me out, and Jesus Christ started looking for me, and peeling back the layers, and oh, there's another layer, okay, and there's another self-defense mechanism, oh, and then there's another, you know, mask, and when he starts pulling it out, he finds a little broken person in there, and he says to that person, to you and I, he says, I love you, I died for you, I shed my blood for you, and you are the proud pride and joy. I am proud of you, and I boast about you to the devil in spiritual warfare. Isn't that amazing? Don't look at yourself after your actions and your failures, because in Psalm 32, it says that God does not impute to us our, our unrighteousness, our sin. He doesn't impute, impute it to us. Does that mean we go live in sin? No, it does not. It changes us. If you and I understood the true grace of God, the true power of God, the true salvation of God, you know what that would do? It creates fear in our life. Not fear of phobos, but it creates this respect for God and for ourselves. We understand that, like, you know, I'm not hamburger. Like, I, I'm just not meat for sale. I belong to God. I'm, 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 um, I have dignity. I have spiritual dignity. And one thing I love to see is how Jesus dealt with sinners, people that were just blatant sinners in the Gospels, how he spoke to them with such dignity. And he never tore them. He never looked down on them. He never, the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, classic example. What does he do? He gets down on his knee, right? And if you read what's happening here carefully, you got the Pharisees and all the self-righteous people standing over and then like looking down at this woman and, and like, you know, condemning her. And then Jesus despise, dis, dispels all of them and says, you that, are, that have not sinned, in some cases they say that, that, that you that have not sinned, that particular sin with that woman can walk away first, right? I mean, can throw the, can throw the stone first. And so they all leave from the oldest to the youngest. Jesus is down there and he's, he's on his knee, right? And he's, and he's writing in the sand and he doesn't get up. He looks at the woman who's sitting on the ground. He's eye to eye with this woman, right? She's sitting or, you know, and he's talking to her eye to eye. And he says, where are your, where are your accusers? Lord, I have none. Neither do I condemn thee. Neither, nor do I judge you. Go and sin no more. The dignity and the respect 
that God has for people. You know, in ancient mythology, ancient mythology is always portrayed as the gods are so tired with the noise and the foolishness of, of human beings. And they're so annoyed by it. And they're just so like, they're trying to run away from it, you know. But Jesus Christ became one of us. Our identity needs to be in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to finish up with this. Our identity cannot be in what we've done. And if you feel shame and if you feel dishonor, if you feel the weight of past mistakes, then we need to hear the voice of God say, where are you? And Lord, like, I think sometimes we get in these, we get in these places and we need someone to come and get us. I don't know about you, but sometimes we get backed into these circumstances. We <laughs> get backed up into a corner, right? And we're hiding behind our walls and we're like, oh man, we just need to get a phone call. We need to get a text message. We need someone to knock on our door and say, hey, how you doing? Let's just go grab a coffee or let's just have some fellowship, amen? That's the body of Christ. That's the church. The church is people that go out and, and find us. And what happens is here, and I, I don't have time to get into it this morning, but um, Isaiah chapter 6, and maybe next Sunday we'll look at these, these verses together. Isaiah 6, verses 5 through 9. Here is Isaiah. He's a prophet, right? He's a prophet of God. But this is Isaiah 6. This is six chapters into the book of Isaiah. This is a man that's already been in ministry. He's a guy in ministry. He's doing the work of God. He's like serving and he's ministering and he's doing all this work and we see that he's, he's, a, he's a representative of God and yet in Isaiah chapter six, he's in this place where he sees the, 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 the host of God. He sees the angels and the seraphim and, and for a moment, God just pulls back the curtain and he sees all of this and what is his response? Woe is me, for I have seen God. Woe is me, shame, something's wrong with me. I think sometimes when people see the work of God in their life, we saw this with, with Peter in the boat after the miracle. You know, he, Jesus says to, uh, Peter says to Jesus, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. And what does Jesus say? Fear not, fear not. Don't be afraid. Because that's what shame does. Shame causes fear and separation in our life. And so what happens here with Isaiah is he sees he sees the, 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 the right, the glory of God and he sees the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. And the pivots of the thresholds in verse four shake. And then he's, and he says, I'm, I'm an undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the Yahweh of hosts. And verse six, what happens? One of the seraphim flew to me and in his hand was, was, was a hot coal he had taken from the altar with tongs. What I want to talk about next time is how God takes something from the sacrifice he takes he takes the living burning reality of the finished work of jesus christ that thing that cleanses us and he cleanses us with that and it's interesting to note that 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 the angels could not touch those rocks and i'll tell you why because my opinion is is that this was from an altar this was the eternal altar that we read about of in that jesus christ was 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 crucified he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world before time began there was already a decision a plan and jesus was already and there was that eternal altar and so one of the seraphim which is one of the highest ranking angels go and they have to take they can't touch that they can't touch the sacrifice they can't touch the rocks of that sacrifice they can't touch that altar why because they're angels they're not humans and so they get these tongs right they get these things and they pick up one of the rocks and they put it on his mouth. And yet, 
the sacred altar, the, the fire, that, that sacred place of sacrifice, it's allowable to touch broken human lips. Isn't that amazing? What does it tell us? Angels never needed grace. They never needed redemption. And so they never get to understand what's the eternal sacrifice all about. That's why it says in Peter, it says that angels desire to look into these things because they don't know what grace is. Like every day they wake up and they're like, who can we see grace? Where can we see this thing that we've never known about the nature and the characteristic of God? Where can we see it today in the earth? Well, I think I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna, well, I heard that God's, I heard about this one believer in Magnolia and they just are starting to discover the grace of God in their life. Let's go down and visit them this week and see what grace is doing in their life, amen? And when we begin to discover the unmerited favor and the, and the blessing of God in our life that we could never, ever achieve, when that begins to shine into our life, we begin to believe it and say, God is gracious, I am loved, and somehow, even though I'm a wreck, I'm a sinner, and at any moment I could just crash and burn the side of the road if it wasn't the grace of God, then at that, but yet at the same time, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm loved, I'm acceptable, and, I'm, a, and I'm, I'm celebrated in heaven because of the blood of Christ. When we begin to understand that, that's grace. And angels never get to experience that. We do. And that's what makes the devil so angry. That's, what, that's why Satan is so angry at Christians today. Why? Because angels never, he never got redemption. He never, get, he never gets blood for his mistakes because he was face to face with God. And he decided not he decided against God and the throne of God and the government of God. Yet for us as Christians, as, as broken human frail beings, we, we, God is compassionate on us. And because of the compassion, he shows grace and mercy. I think the thing about shame is this, is that we think, you know what, I don't deserve. I don't, and that's true, we don't deserve it, but yet we've got it. And how does that work? Compassion. I'm gonna close with this. God's compassion. You know, we look at our life and we just sometimes we're just disgusted with our life. Have you ever been disgusted with yourself? Like, oh, that's so gross, man. What is wrong with me? Like, and that happens a lot, doesn't it? Or you look at somebody else's life and you're like, you know, and you look at them, and you're like, man, if they just got their life together, you know, like me. <laughs> you know, if they got their life together, their life would be great. You know, I could just maybe sit down and say, look, you need to make a series of good decisions. You need to get out of that situation. You do this, and you do that. And all of my own thoughts. But you know something? When God looks at people in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus looked at, the, at, the, at, the, at people as sheep that were scattered. He had compassion. Not tolerance and not compromise, but compassion. It's a difference. Compassion sees the need and acts in his, and, and his works and, and, and there's an action. Sentimentality sees the needs and says, oh, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let it slide or I'm gonna try to meet it with my own flesh. Compassion sees our brokenness, sees our confusion, sees the problem, sees Adam and Eve in the garden. It, when everything is upside, creation is upside down now and the, and the leader of creation is now hiding in creation. God sees that and he's, there's compassion. And I, think there's this, I think it's hard for us to grasp that because we're creatures that are so riddled with guilt and shame. And what happens? God comes in and he brings in a covering and that's what we really seek for. We really seek a covering. You know, the body of Christ is a covering. You know, I could never move anywhere without knowing first, is there a church there that I could go to that like, you know, I, I just, I could never move somewhere where I don't have a conviction about, you know, the church. You know, is there a body? Because I need to be covered. My marriage needs a covering. My kids need a covering. 
I need people speaking into my life. Um, and when that happens, there's a covering and we don't need to live in shame. We don't feel naked anymore. We feel loved and accepted. At the same time, we don't feel like we're hiding anything either. You know, the body of Christ is not a place where we hide stuff. You know, do we go around talking about it? It's just it's somehow there's a covering in my life. There's this, there's this, there's this security that's a safe place. And Lord, I would pray that Evergrace would be a place where people could come. How many, however few or however many, it doesn't matter to me. Numbers for me, in one sense, that's not the issue. Really, it isn't. But people could come here and they could just find a refuge. And that's what it says when, Paul, when David said this in the book of Psalms. He said, God takes the solitary. And this is like a life first for me. God takes the lonely and he puts them in families. And that's the body of Christ. And this is where we flourish. And you know something? Your marriage will flourish in the right body of Christ. Your kids, your relationship with your kids is going to change eventually. You know, if it's a healthy body, the gospel is going to go out. You know, you're going to discover victory in your life. If there's things you're disgusted about in your life, let the Lord seek you out and just say, and just tell God what's going on. Don't live in shame. Don't, love, don't hide. And let God speak into your life and, and let him say, there's a sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And he's, and he's poured out his blood for you and I because he loves us. Amen. So I'm excited about this. I'm excited about this um, series. I'm going to dig in deep into some things, and we're going to, I think, by the end of August, I think we're just going to really appreciate the joy and the courage that we have in the Lord and the authority that we have as Christians. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you sought us out. Lord, that we could not save ourselves. We could not even lead ourselves. Lord, that you, we couldn't even choose what is the best for us, and yet you found us when we were on the floor crying out to you, just in, in the, the end of the road of our own ideas and our own pursuit of happiness and satisfaction. Lord, you found us, and you came into our lives, and you began to speak into our life, Lord. And I just want to pray for every person that's here, every family that's represented. Lord, that this summer, this fall, this, this year, these years ahead, Lord, that we would be, that we could enjoy being part of a body, a church that is not perfect, but looking at Christ and talking about Christ and not about religious things that need to be done for God to solicit his love and compassion. And Lord, we just want to pray today again for each person. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Maybe we've been religious all of our life, but there's a moment where a crisis happens and we say, I don't know if I know Jesus Christ. Just say yes to Jesus today. Lay your life at his feet. Just say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm not doing a good job living my own life. Maybe you're born again already. Maybe you've done that. And maybe there's things in your life where you just, maybe things you're wrestling with that you're trying to wrestle in your own strength. Don't give up and say, I can't win this fight. Just lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, you know what? I'm, le I'm leaving this at your feet. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, how to do this. I don't know how to resolve this. And if you're doing that today, just live it, give it to Christ and let him begin to give you perspective of who you are and who he is. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.